Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode 15. Today, I have the honor of welcoming the president of Resourceive. He is a former Army Green Beret. He has more than six years of experience in the channel and was named in the top 101 executives and technology advisors by Channel Futures last year in 2022. He is a true champion of the channel, and I'm proud to welcome Mr. Kyle Hall. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Today, we are talking about the next generation agent and uh, Kyle's sort of uh, vision on what the channel looks like for up and comers like himself. So before we get into that, I want to go into some backstory. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, I I believe you mentioned that you started at Resourceive in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. Um, And really, it was it was my first job out of the military. Um, so when I was leaving the military, you know, I met the, met the owner of Resourceive and ended up starting here in a project management capacity. Mm-hmm. How did you meet the owner of Resourceive? Um, I was going through, uh, uh, so there's some nonprofit organizations that are out there that really focus on helping veterans transition into their next mission, their next career. Um, and there's a couple specifically that focus on special operations. And so, um, I was participating in one called the Honor Foundation. You know, shout out to them. They do a lot of great things for, for have done a lot of great things for me as well as, you know, my, my peers and, and those coming behind me. But, um, I was participating in that one and I was actually going through there with, um, I guess for anybody that n- likes podcasting, they may know this name, but John Allen, Mr. Mr. Bowen, um, was actually in there with me. He was a, a seal and was transitioning and, um, he uh, had a friend who was in investment banking in New York, and John said, "Hey, look, I'll bring twenty transitioning special operations, so uh, veterans, so you know, SEALs, Green Berets, some fighter pilots in there, so some aviation uh, type people as well, um, you know." And said to his buddy, "You bring some, you bring some executives um, who are in kind of finance, private equity, um, that sort of stuff." And the owner of Resourceive um, came to that event. I went to that event. We met each other, um, you know, and it was that was the the first event of an organization that then became a nonprofit that became Elite Meet. Um, and so Tom Geske, who's the owner of Resourceive, kind of heard, you know, what what or saw kind of this value prop that special operations can bring to the private sector. He was all in, you know, interviewed a couple of us the next day, um, you know, and was really the first one from, you know, the industry side at that event to really pull the trigger and go all in and, and bring some of us into the industry. So, um, you know, I, I began at Resourceive at that event, as well as um, the gentleman that actually runs our business development function now um, was, was there as well. So I know the first time that I heard of the channel, I needed some further explanation. So what was your... Uh, how, how was that explained to you and what had you interested in the channel? 
Yeah. So I guess I would, I guess I would maybe start by saying I had no idea this industry existed, uh, you know, prior to that. Um, you know, and I think, I think that's probably true for most people outside of kind of our, our little corner of corner of the industry. You know, you really kind of have to know someone to get in, um, you know, or be exposed to it. Um, but the way Tom laid it out to me, um, you know, is something that still resonates deeply with me. And I had, I had some other opportunities at the time. Um, you know, I mean, I was transitioning, I was interviewing, I was, I was looking around and none of them were in this space. None of them were even in technology. You know, they were in kind of construction management or things like that. And the way Tom described it to me was that we would be able to go in, engage with kind of mid market and enterprise companies, which is, which is resources, primary clientele, um, go in and this really kind of serve it leadership mindset and use this business model to bring a ton of value to them and then not be not be charging them for that service um as well as truly be able to navigate the market on their behalf in an agnostic way that was focused on producing outcomes for them versus you know peddling a product um, you know, and that resonated very deeply with me at the time. It still does. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time, you know, both, both publicly, like in my LinkedIn profile and that sort of stuff, as well as internally and in sharing the vision with our team about who we are, how we exist in the space and how we look to, to be with our clients. And do you think, or I guess, how, how do you think your time as a Green Beret helped you in, you know, move up into your current role as president. It's kind of funny. I see a whole lot of similarities actually between what I did as a Green Beret and what we do here. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to like my current role as president, but you know, I'll just start with kind of the, the business model and I'll talk about what, what Green Berets do. Cause a lot of people don't know this, right? People think, oh, Green Berets, special operations, like, you know, all they do is run around and kick doors and do these top secret missions and stuff like that. And, you know, the core mission of special forces or, or green berets is to work by, with, and through partner company, you know, partner countries, um, and their military forces to help execute on uncle Sam's strategic objectives, whatever those are in the region. Right. So when I would go overseas and do deployment, we were never working by ourselves. We were working with, you know, a host nation military, or when I was in Afghanistan, you know, we were partnered with, um, the Afghani special operations working by, with, and through them to, to lead them to execute on, you know, shaping operations in an, in an area. Um, and really, as you know, and uh, we position ourselves as a technology value creation partner, but as as a trusted advisor, you know, or an agency, at the end of the day, we don't internally have a product, right? We're using mm-hmm. the the vendors and their portfolio of products, making sure that it is it is the right fit vendor with the right fit product to match the desired outcome. And so all of that type of uh, you know planning, diligence, um, and then ultimately leading the execution and seeing things get done. But, you know, through influence is actually like remarkably similar. Um, obviously mm-hmm. the tool set's much different. I'm doing it from the comfort of my own home now, you know, versus being out in a desert somewhere. Um, so it's certainly much more comfortable. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a surprising amount of carryover. 
as far as my my role as president, um, you know, coming up with shaping a, a compelling um, strategic narrative that gets my um, internal team aligned with the needs of our clients, the needs of our vendors. And then in our space, we work primarily in private equity owned companies. So also the needs of the private equity firms, like that aligning and, you know, need to deeply understand all of these stakeholders roles and what they're looking to accomplish and chart a path forward that is considerate of all of those, um, you know, is, is again, a place with a whole lot of carryover, you know, when, when I'll, I'll reference Afghanistan again, but I mean, some of the missions I would go on, you know, we're working with Afghan local police, Afghan uniform police, Afghan army, um, U.S. assets, sometimes other foreign assets. So, you know, I was, I was in Helmand. So there was a lot, a lot of Brits there. Um, you know, that sort of thing, right? You have a lot of stakeholders and trying to align all of those towards a, a compelling narrative and something where, you know, you can win. Um, there's, there's a surprising amount of carryover, especially in the enterprise space, right? I mean, there's, really no engagements that we work on that don't have a very, very um, diverse set of stakeholders, all with their own considerations. Um, and so needing to, to pull all those together and chart a path path forward is, you know, something that I've been doing here for six years, but, you know, I was doing for eight years before that in a, in a totally different capacity. And do you, does resourcive uh, work um, internationally, like, has that had some carryover too? like your ability to work with other international groups? Has that helped you uh, maybe branch out into the international market? Um, we do work some internationally, but I wouldn't say that like I've had a ton of carryover there. You know, I mean, my my primary area of operations in the military was in the Middle East. You know, I spoke Arabic um, to some extent. Right. Certainly I would not consider myself fluent, but could get the job done, um, you know, have it. Haven't needed that the last six years, um, but, uh, you know, that kind of approach that we applied as Green Berets, because what we do, I mean, we would go live with these people in their conditions, you know, and really like that rapport building, that mm-hmm. level of understanding, absolutely carry over there for sure. Right. And being able to be aware of different cultural norms and, you know, that that's there's even in even in the states like there's a, a a lot of different cultures and melding and uh you know we're a big melting pot so there's i'm sure some carry over there with just you know especially with large enterprise or or mid market customers that do have an international reach or what have you um you have to be good at reading the room and being understanding of different uh different cultures and different expectations so yeah, it's it's just, it's another level of empathy right i mean it's it brings a whole new level of empathy when you're working with someone and you're trying to get them to go do something but like you know it's life and death i mean you're trying to take them on a combat mission and lead them on a combat mission like you need to be pretty empathetic to their concerns and considerations and those sort of things right so it's a it's a different level of listening for sure is it normal to become the president of a company within five years? I mean, I don't know. When, when did you actually 
uh, get to the president level. At, I, at I've been in this role for about two and a half years. So how did you do it so quickly? <laughs> um, well, it, it may be worth kind of calling out that, I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about business. Um, you know, I mean, even when I was in the military, I mean, I, I had a startup, um, you know, that I, that I had, had, had done, um, when I got out, I pursued my MBA while, while I was working here. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's normal per se. Um, but you know, uh, what is normalcy? I, I don't, I don't know. It <laughs> seems like, that seems like something that someone would, would hold up and say, oh, this is or isn't normal. And that feels like, uh, that feels like a box that someone would put themselves in. And I kind of, I try not to do that too much. Um, right. I try to show up and bring whatever I can to the, to the situation and try to be what's wanted and needed at the time. And, um, you know, it's a pretty dynamic space that we're in, um, you know, it, in these agencies, if I look, you know, at kind of my, my peers who are out here in the space and there's a couple different flavors of companies, um, you know, some of them are, are lifestyle businesses. And I think when I came into resourceive, there was, there was some of that, but there was a goal to really operationalize and, and try to grow and scale. And I think I brought a level of, of energy and vision around that as well as, as well as a team, right? I mean, I certainly don't do this by myself. I've got some really great teammates, um, that see that vision and really help me execute on it. Uh, mm-hmm. so is it normal? I don't know. Is it possible? Yeah. I'm, clearly it's possible. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I think, I think there's a massive opportunity in our space right now, um, for, you know, people who want to come in, have some of that vision, um, and the energy and the dedication to, to mm-hmm. put towards it. Yeah. What was it like, uh, when you did get named to the, uh, top 101 list for channel futures? I thought it was cool. I think it was the inaugural list. Um, again, like we're a young industry overall though. Right. Um, you know, from, from what I can tell, it's roughly, you know, 22, 23 years old, as far as kind of when, you know, agencies really took off. Um, you know, and resourceive was one of the first, um, you know, Tom Geske was one of the, one of the first people doing this. Um, and so we had a, had a pretty long history, but overall it's a very young industry. So, you know, I think a lot of people are still figuring it out and figuring out how, you know, what their approach is, right. You see a lot, a lot of people who are, who are selling right now, they're taking some chips off the table. There's some consolidation happening. And there's also, in my opinion, at least a, a fair amount of differentiation that's occurring as people are trying to, you know, look at how they take this, what I think is a pretty unique business model and bring as much value as they can to the, to the clients, um, you know, that we serve. So, um, mm-hmm. I see it, I see a ton of opportunity, but to answer your question directly, I mean, I, I definitely saw it as an honor. I don't, you know, maybe to a fault, I don't spend a whole lot of time kind of celebrating that type of stuff. It's like, uh, you know, I'm like, that's really cool. What's next? Um, you know, and that, uh, again, to, to a fault, I think that I should probably spend a little bit more time celebrating wins, but, um, you know, it's, I think been part of my, part of my own kind of success recipe that I don't. Do you feel like the channel or the technology space has changed um, a lot since you got got into it in 2017? And and what do you think that 
that change is, has really looked like, or what's the biggest change been? Um, from so from my perspective, um, it definitely has. One, I would say it's it seems more competitive than it was at the time. Um, also, just the expansion of the you know the services and kind of technology pillars that we can consult on and that we can bring value to is absolutely expanding. You know, when I first started, a lot of the work that Resource was doing, and when I when I went to industry events and talked to peers, it was it was seemed like we weren't weren't the only ones that were in this situation. But a lot of the work was around commoditized products, um, you know. Um, and now we're really try to work a lot more on transformative type initiatives, um, you know, and work on products and technologies that have a higher strategic value to the business um, than simply. You know, hey, we can we can consolidate your network access, or we can consolidate all your pots, or like that type of stuff. And we still do a lot of that work, and there is value to our clients in us doing that work. I think where they get even more value is when we get into, you know, these these conversations that are transformative in some way um, beyond the technology. How and when did you realize that agents needed to provide? a bigger strategic role with these end user organizations. So I had probably started us on this kind of, it's a little bit of an internal transformation um, to begin with probably about four years ago, even before I was formally in this role, um, you know, and what I saw from our perspective was we spent a lot of time getting clients and then we would work, you know, a project or kind of a point in time project. And what I saw is, you know, as the channel was expanding, um, the clients also had, you know, perpetual needs, right? You may come in and work on a project, but there's always another one and another one after that. And then by the time you work through the whole technology pillar, the ones you worked on initially, either that, that technology is being sunset or it's time to work, a, you know, work a renewal or a renegotiation, um, you know, or something like that. And so, you know, when I looked, there was this alignment between not only what would help our business grow, um, but also in what our clients needed. And when you can find alignment like that, in my experience, that is a real accelerant to growth um, because one, you're going to be more valuable to your client, um, which is, you know, people talk about, you know, being sticky with your client. Well, the, the best way to be sticky with your client is to provide a lot of value to them build this long-term relationship with them. Um, but it's also really great for our business, right? I mean, it's something where as, as we come in, we, we build a lot of credibility on that initial engagement, you know, continue building it over time on additional work streams that follow on. And then every logo we bring in, you know, we're still doing new business with ones that we brought in last year and the year before, um, as well as the new logos that we're bringing in. So, I mean, it's a, it's been a great accelerant to growth for us. Um, you know, while also really to some extent being a competitive differentiator, right? Because a client doesn't want to have to go find an advisor for their network and a different one for their voice and a different one for their infrastructure and someone else for the contact center and someone else for the security and then explain, you know, what they're trying to accomplish as a, as an overarching, you know, business objectives to all of those people and manage all of those relationships. You know, they really, if you're going to hold this space as a trusted advisor, you got to be able to do it across a, a pretty wide uh, breadth of technology because you're going to spend a lot of time with that client. 
And that time needs, you know, and the information that you collect in that time needs to be able to be used across multiple initiatives and across multiple work streams. And so that's what, what mm-hmm. we try to do. Do you think um, relationships between partners and suppliers has changed much in in uh, your time in the channel? Um, it seems like it on the on the whole. It seems like um, channel is broadly growing. I do think vendors are looking for different things from um, the agencies than they were traditionally. I think. Um, you know, and, and I would say rightfully so, vendors are asking for, you know, the agencies to provide more value than just being kind of a a referral partner, right? They most most people with mature channel programs have a bucket that a referral partner fits into, and we're not that, right? We're not just saying, oh, hey, there's a deal over there, go get it, right? We're doing a whole lot of work um, and bringing a lot of value to that, whether it's building an inventory for our clients and understanding all that's there, whether it's, you know, collaborating um, with that client in a very deep way about the technology roadmap, and then being able to communicate that clearly, concisely um, with vendors. I think they, they count on us for that. And a lot of the feedback we've had from vendors, you know, is that we're, that we're good at that, Um, that we, you know, provide a level of expertise around client needs that is not normal in the industry for agencies. And from what I see, it seems like, it seems like vendors lean in with, you know, agencies and and consultancies that do that because you're actually providing a lot of value to them. Um, You know, and ultimately there's a, there's a monetary exchange happening. Um, There's value that should be delivered in exchange for that. So how, how do you think um, suppliers can, deepen their relationships with partners like resourceive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think you and I chatted about this a little bit when we were, when we were talking last week, Um, you know, this industry, there's elements to it sometimes that have seemed, especially coming from the out, coming from the outside and coming into it that were, you know, the way I would refer to them is almost like a good old boy system, right? It's like, um, you know, very much like very, relationship driven. Um, and certainly we're relationship driven as well. I think what we look at though, is we look at the foundations of those relationships as built on, um, you know, bi-directional value exchange. Um, you know, if vendors who, you know, we're really successful with, um, what we look for is how are you helping me deliver a better outcome to my clients? Cause that's how I grow, right? I grow by delivering outcomes to our clients that other people can't deliver. Um, and the way you know, to build a great relationship with Resourceive, at least, is help us deliver value to our clients. Do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Get your get your services implemented. Get them implemented well. Um, you know, deliver a really great experience to our clients. And that's what we're going to build a relationship on. Um, because at the end of the day, like, we can, we can be friends, um, you know, and that can be great. And, you know, at industry events, we can we can grab a dinner and that can be wonderful. Um, but if it's not providing more value to my clients, it's not helping me grow. Mm-hmm. And we're very growth oriented. Right. And I don't, I don't know that that's I don't know that's true for every agency in the space. Right. There's there are some wonderful lifestyle businesses in this space, um, you know, with some people that have done very well for themselves and have, you know, are probably creating generational wealth for their families. 
Um, but you know, we're trying to do that for a whole organization. Um, you know, not, not just kind of an owner operator. I mean, we're trying to do this at scale and the way to do that is help us swing above our weight class and deliver value to our clients. Yeah. That's something that, uh, I'm working on a lot right now, um, with our channel team is like, you know, it's it, like you said, it's great to have relationships with, um, with partners, even at the TSDs, right? It's, it's great to have those relationships, but what does it really mean? Like, is it, is it, uh, is it more than surface level? You know, do you just take them out for drinks or golfing or what have you? Like how that's a good, that's a good point. Like what value are we really bringing, um, as a supplier to the relationship? And I, and I think if you don't have a plan of, um, you know, implementing more, more, more than surface deep, uh, foundational level value. I think, I think that, you know, partners won't be willing to, uh, work with you. And, and additionally, you know, I want the relationships with partners to be more than just, Hey, when's the next deal coming? Because I think that's disingenuous. Um, but at the same time, like we always need to know, what more can we do, you know, and like, what's, you know, what are best practices for engaging with partners? You know, there's some partners that come to the webinars all the time and, and chat with us all the time. We'll do account mapping and stuff like that. And, you know, we're, we're still figuring that out, but I think, you know, if there's anything that, that we want the, the partner community to know is that, you know, it is, these relationships are valuable, but we want to do more than just have that relationship. And I think, there's, there's a, a ton of different ways that we can do that, but, you know, doing stuff like this, like sitting down with you, I think is, is a great way just to talk about ideas and grow together because, you know, the, the, the growth of the channel is really kind of three pronged, right? You've got the supplier, you've got the partner and you've got the TSD and navigating those things as, as a supplier or as a TSD or as a partner, you've got to be willing to learn. And, um, that's, the purpose of this is I want to learn from you as much as I can. So look, I mean, I, 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 if I was given any advice, I would say really truly deeply understand what that partner strategy is to grow their business and understand how, how you fit into it. Um, you know, and that, that requires some pretty frank and transparent discussions, you know, and I think my, when I, when I first came into the industry, I would say, it seemed like there was a whole lot of, um, you know, protectionism around around that type of information. People were pretty closed and guarded um, with what they were doing, how they were trying to do it, that sort of thing. My approach has been a little bit different. You know, I, I try to share pretty openly and transparently our vision and um, tell me how you can support it, you know, um, and if there's, you know, if there's a, a space for that and you can really do it and really deliver the way that you say, great. Like I need, I need more, you know, more effort in the direction that I'm headed. And so if you can, if you can do that, that helps me move, you know, further, faster, you know, better. Um, so um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Look, I'm, I've, this is the only partner I've ever worked at. Right. So I don't, I don't know what other partners are like, um, you know, in those, in those kind of closed door conversations, but my approach has always been to be, be 
pretty transparent and open with what we're trying to do, what our, what our larger and overarching objectives are and, you know, put it back on the, on the, on the, you know, the vendor or, or the TSD to tell me how you're going to help me with that. Do you think, um, there are folks in our generation, we're about the same age, so I can say that. Um, do you think that, that there are enough folks our age coming up into the channel to help, you know, as, as the next generation of, of agent, for example, like, do you see a lot of other folks our age coming up in the channel and, and, you know, supporting that, that foundational growth? I wouldn't say that I see a lot. I do think there are some, some out there, um, you know, that have built some decent brands for themselves in, in a short period of time. You know, I see people who are leaving the VARs. I think, um, you know, fair amount of, of kind of my peer agencies, um, you know, that are led by people in our generation. From what I can tell, most of them seem to be coming from, um, from VARs. So they're VAR reps who maybe have a couple key relationships and go out and, you know, learn about this business model, see the opportunity and, and launch it. Is there, is there as many as there was? Um, I mean, look, there's a lot of agencies out there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, from what I understand, you know, it's three to 4,000, maybe more. Um, mm -hmm. but I think you kind of have to segment it to answer that question, right? I think there's a lot of them that, you know, if we, we would talk about them and, um, they're like that lifestyle business, you know? And so I think they're, many of them are looking at what, what's their exit strategy. You know, maybe they have, maybe they have, um, you know, either young people in their company that they can, they, they can hand it over to. Maybe they have, uh, maybe it's going to be a family business, but a lot of them seem to be selling, um, you know, and so there's some consolidation happening at the agency level um, that I think overall will probably prove to be positive for, for the TSDs, for the vendors and, and the clients, um, you know, overall, um, TBD though. Right. I mean, I, I'm not sure I have to, you know, what, what I see here is as we get more resources, um, you know, more staff, we're able to bring more value to our clients. Um, so, you know, at least anecdotally here, um, it seems like that's over overarchingly a good thing for, for the end users. Which, if it's a good thing mm -hmm. for the clients, it's going to be a good thing for the vendors. True. So, do you think that um, private equity is going to like the way I see it? Agents can go one of two routes, right? So they've they interject private equity into their business and potentially gives them an exit strategy. Versus, you don't go the private equity route and then you know, you just kind of build it, not necessarily organically, but without the inclusion of private equity. I mean, is, is that, you know, what is the exit strategy for somebody like you that, or anybody that hasn't, hasn't interjected private equity? Like what's, what's the way out? You just, you know, hand it down in the family or like, I mean, what options do agencies have for an exit strategy? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you covered a few of them, right? I mean, you can, you can keep the business as a going concern. I mean, these businesses are really great cash flowing businesses, right? So, I mean, that's part of the reason private equity really likes them. Um, it takes time to build it. I think it's, you know, if you've talked to anyone that 
started one recently. I'm sure they would, they would tell you something similarly. I, I think you had Aram on a, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he probably, yep. probably said something along those lines. Um, it can be a real grind to start it. Um, but once you have it, it's a, it's a really wonderful business model. So you can keep it as a going concern, you know, and kind of run a lifestyle business, um, you know, until one day you, you know, you sell your book, um, you know, essentially, I think you've seen that like that, that's not unknown in other industries, right? I think in the insurance brokerage would be a, a right. good place to look for yeah, yeah. kind of a, um, a comparison. Um, you know, for us, we, we're focused on growth. And so, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have, uh, you know, a large book of, of, you know, clients that we've been doing business with for a long time while still bringing in, you know, a lot of new logos. And so we have some pretty strong organic growth. Um, you know, as far as, as far as the private equity investment, I mean, that's, that's one way to do it. Um, I think that when a private equity firm invests in a company like ours or in our space, you know, they, would look at it as a cash cow in some, in some way, right? You've got this recurring revenue. You've got, um, you know, relatively low carry cost on it. Um, and so when you have that, you are then looking at opportunities for reinvestment. So whether it's going and buying other agencies or, or books and exiting them, um, or product expansion, whether it's, you know, maybe you're looking at MSPs or you're looking at, um, you know, VARs, like you're looking at bringing in additional capacity to create a company that has more service offering so that you get some of this vertical integration in your clients. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as, as near as I can tell, those seem to be, seem to be kind of the, the offerings right now. You can either sell the book as is or sell the business. And those are two different things, right? For us, yep. I think the way we look at it is, you know, we look at ourselves as, as much more than a book, right? I mean, we've done a lot of work on our operations. We've done a lot of work on our, on our model to scale. And so, um, you know, when, when we're having those types of conversations, even internally, and we're looking at our long-term vision, we very much look at ourselves as building, you know, a, a business versus just building a book. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think the exit strategy kind of depends on how you've looked at that over time. If you have only, you know, looked at it as building a book and building this recurring revenue stream, but not building the operations around it to support it, I think that your prospective exits are, you know, a little bit more narrow. And mm-hmm. I would, I would guess that the valuation on those firms would, would be impacted. Um, you know, when, when you're in the data of a business like this and you're in it really deep at a product level, able to see kind of the churn that happens, what it takes to retain these clients, um, these books are very, very valuable, but they end without care and feeding. Um, you know, these, these things do churn over time. And as near as I can tell, the rate of that churn um, is increasing in some ways. I mean, you have, um, it's easier to replace some of these technologies than it used to be. Um, mm-hmm. Just the rate of change in technology is increasing, right? So 
agencies really need to put work into operationalizing their, you know, what they do. Um, and it takes a lot to do that. I mean, you've got a lot of people out there that are running agencies and they're, you know, the primary salesperson um, for, for bringing in new accounts as well as, you know, working with the vendors. Um, you know, that's working in the business. You also have to work on the business. Um, and if you're not, I think your, your perspective exits are, you know, you just have, you have less options. That's not to say that these aren't like valuable businesses. There's some wonderful businesses that have been built out here in this industry. Right. Um, you know, name, names people have never heard of, um, you know, with the exception of their, you know, 20, 30, 40 clients, whatever, whatever they have. Um, but right, they're, right. they're wonderful businesses. Um, what do you think motivates a, uh, an agency that's been in business for, you know, 20 years, they've got a, a great book of business, um, you know, but they're not quite ready to exit. Like, you know, they've got plenty to live on and then some, you know, what do you think motivates, is there any correlation between those type of folks and like up and comers like yourself, as far as like motivation and why they want to keep going? I think there's a base element of just liking to win, right? I mean, somebody that somebody that has done that, um, you know, over time in this industry, look, it's a hard industry. Okay. I mean, we'll start there. Um, it's, you know, it's a, um, it's a grind to be in the trenches of, of some of these engagements to ensure the delivery, especially if you're focused there as an agent, um, you know, to ensure the performance of some of these vendors, especially like, traditional you know where this where this industry came from in telcos like you're trying to you're you're trying to to you know manage the performance of telecom carriers like that's a that's a challenging proposition right like it's very hard to do um and so you know i think there's a there's an element of just as far as the back to your question like the the kind of common thread i think there's a base element of just liking to win Right. Even when they even when they have enough, so to speak, to support their lifestyle business, I think they just like to win. I also think that if they've been in they've been in this industry um, for any amount of time, there's probably a, a healthy level of um, the word I want to say is fear. But that's that's not right. Probably just concern about the banks. Mm-hmm. Right. And knowing that at any given time, one of your one of your key accounts may have senior stakeholder changeover and a change of direction um, in what they're doing from a technology perspective, um, you know, or who they're working with as an advisor. And so, you know, the, it's kind of one of those things you're either, you're either growing or you're dying um, to some extent, um, you know, at a minimum, you've got to be growing just to maintain your watermark. Mm-hmm. You're going to have churn. I mean, I think, I think pretty commonly accepted about 15%, you know, a, a year of churn. Are there any um, technologies or solutions that you feel like should be getting more attention than, than they are? Um, well, I, I'll tell you some of the ones that we're we're very focused on right now. I think they're getting a decent amount of attention. Um, I mean, we're very focused on on CCAS and driving better customer experience and and you know adopting AI in contact centers, but. I think that's getting a lot of airtime, right? So I don't know that that fits your your uh, question exactly. I think that's getting a lot of focus. I do think people are still kind of struggling to develop their 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 vision around it, um, like people at our clients, right? I mean, they're still looking and saying, okay, like what is our 
what's our two and three year roadmap on this? How's AI going to impact it? You know, where, where is that a fit versus not a fit? All those types of questions or conversations we're having every day. Uh, but I think that's getting a fair amount of airtime. Security is getting plenty of airtime. Um, you know, I do think infrastructure, um, you know, we, we like when I'm having conversations with clients, we'll refer to that broadly as compute, right? People want to talk about cloud or colo or infrastructure as a service. We'll look at that whole function very broadly. You know, what it seems like to me, the way that the, that the clients are headed is, call it a hybrid cloud approach, I think is kind of commonly what you would hear about it. You know, I would just call it a multi-environment approach and looking at, you know, the right application in the right environment that's optimized for, um, for performance, number one, but, but for, but for FinOps basically for, you know, is it, is it optimized for financial performance as well? Um, the thing that seems, and this would, would probably be in, you know, interesting from y'all's perspective seems to not get as much airtime that I think it will in the coming years as, as VDI and DAS, you know, desktop as a service. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of value to companies there if they can get that deployed and get it deployed well. Um, mm-hmm. and it seems to fly under the radar a little bit where there does seem to be very attractive business cases for it in the right, you know, in the right use cases. Um, I think that we will see conversations, um, you know, continue to grow in that space. I don't know. You you may know more about that than me, because obviously that's a main, main product and service for you guys. Um, And I think y'all been beating that drum for a while, Um, but it it, it doesn't seem to have quite the, quite the airtime, not only with agencies, but even with, with um, clients that it could. Right. Right. Well, you've got a couple different situations there. I mean, you've got companies that have a legacy um, on-prem VDI solution. Um, and then you've got, you know, I don't want to say folks are s- scared of DAS, but I think maybe they think it's just, you know, they don't understand the 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 full use case of it right like what like how is it really going to help my uh my employees right and, and i think they a lot of time they they correlate it with you know it's 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 only for remote work or it's only for whatever like that's the interesting thing is like it fits so many different business needs um especially you know when you when you talk to companies that have an overburdened IT staff, which I'm sure you talk to all the time. Um, when you take away the functions of like patching and updating and managing and all these things with your with your PCs or your laptops or any corporate issued devices, when you take that away, um, the one of the big selling points is like they don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, so it, it's kind of twofold. One for the uh, the organization that are, you know the agent is talking to, and then also to the agent, like because you're already positioning yourself as um, an extension of their IT staff. Well, it, it helps you in that regard too. So yeah, you're right. I mean, and the other thing is like it's been around for so long that so the um, slow burn, you know, you know, it's like a slow burn. So it, it didn't really get is. that 
flash in the pan that I think some of the other technologies maybe get, um, right. you know, and I think there's a lot of preconceived notions from stakeholders. I think some of the stakeholders that, you know, may start caring about it more. I think there's a pretty strong security application, um, you know, for it. And so I think you could probably build some consensus and, and clients that way, as well as operations. Like when you start talking about speed to onboard, um, you know, speed to offboard, mm-hmm. like that sort of stuff, especially with supply chain challenges. Um, there's, mm-hmm. there starts to be some compelling reasons to, to really dig into, Hey, how, how do we get this deployed? Like, are these constraints that we have, are they real constraints or are they just you know, preconceived notions? And we, and we really need to, to do more diligence on it. I, I think that that, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what like the CAGR is on, on that. Um, you know, right now you may, I don't, I don't know. Um, but that to me seems like a, an area where certainly we could be doing more, but I think on the whole, um, you know, it could probably be getting more airtime. Yeah. There's, um, there, there's, I, I don't want to go into a whole of all VIP commercial, but you're right. Like there's, there is a lot of applications that, um, a lot of industries, I would say too, that, that would benefit and have, you know, across the board. I'll tell so, you, we, we, uh, so we, we started using it internally. I'll tell you the use case we use it for internally. Um, we run a SkillBridge program. And so SkillBridge is a program with the Department of Defense where as service members are transitioning. So regardless of branch, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, any of them, um, in their last six months of active duty, they can execute a memorandum of understanding between a private business and their command and essentially like their place of duty it's essentially an internship. You know, they're able to work for our company. We're able to give them exposure to the private sector, um, you know, help them understand like, hey, here's here's what it could look like working here. Because part of the difficulty when you're transitioning is like you just don't know what all's out there. But anyway, mm-hmm. we run a skill bridge program and, you know, these people are uh, effectively interns and we we very much try to transition them to full time, um, you know, assuming that they come in and they're, they're a good fit and all those things. Um, but you've got essentially these staff that are coming on, on board for an unknown period of time, you know, three, three to six months is kind of the typical period. And while our goal is to transition into full time, we don't know, um, that that's the way it's going to shake out. And so versus doing a full kit out like we do when we hire a W2 employee, we stand them up on BDI. Um, you know, and we're able to, to control that environment, um, push it out to them, get them spun up on, on the very first day, um, versus, you know, all the work that we would need to go through to go, you know, acquire, acquire the hardware and ship it to them and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's a very small use case internally. Look, we're not, we're not a giant company, um, but it's a, it's a good fit for, for that type of solution, um, for us. And most businesses have, you know, some sort of, of workers or resources in their environment that are similar in that way. Right. Well, especially if you have clients right now that deal in M&A or private equity or even BPOs, we've, we found that to be a pretty good uh, use case. I mean, the ability to scale up a, <laughs> a virtual environment uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, just like you said, like you can get it spun up in a day or like, you know, so what used to take, you know, 
hours, right? I think it takes, I don't know, we've, we've figured out somehow it takes like four hours to provision a, a laptop or what have you. Um, it's like a, it's a keystroke and a mouse click. <laughs> it's been super positive for us. Um, you know, it's way, way easier to onboard them. Um, so, you know, and we had to work through some of the technical challenges that everyone works through in these types of deployment, right? How are you going to get Zoom working really well in it? How are you going to make sure voice is stable? Like all of those sort of things. Um, but like, you know, sometimes I'll talk to clients and like, oh, voice doesn't work in it. Um, you know, video isn't going to work in it. Like that's not, that that's a preconceived notion. That's not a real constraint. Um, it is something that you do have to right. work through. I mean, it is a, it is a, a legitimate consideration, but not a constraint. Yeah. And, and I think there's merit to, to some of those concerns. I mean, you know, even call it three years ago, video wasn't great in DAS, right. And there's been sort of this, uh, emergence of technology basically, and this is something that we talk about, but like uh, real-time audio video optimization, essentially what it's doing is it's pulling the local unused resources um, off of that machine to optimize the video and, and audio quality. So like where that used to be an issue or, you know, used to be a, a problem, right? Basically now it's not, right? So there's a lot of things that like, like you said, it's a slow burn that I think once they're once these things are realized and more you know it's applied more often it's you know it's i don't know if it's going to be the next you know microsoft teams but uh you know i don't know if it's going to be that yeah who um who knows maybe 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 microsoft will start bundling that product uh bundling vdi with everything else and drive the adoption they did in teams yeah. um but that's kind of their strategy but well, that's actually, speaking of bundling, that's actually something that we're doing now. I don't know how this turned into an Evolve IP commercial, but um, <laughs> thanks a lot, Kyle. Um, Checks in the mail. So we, right, yeah. Um, so basically we're bundling like, you know, the the virtual environment. So like an eight gig desktop, the storage, uh, we include collaboration and voice. So Microsoft Teams, um, backup, and then uh, Microsoft licensing for like a hundred dollars. So, you know, like in, you know, maybe, it, maybe that specific thing won't be popular, but it does get you thinking about like what you can do with DAS and like all the sort of ancillary and adjacent services that, that you typically would get from another vendor. So now, now you're basically getting that all in one, um, and, and, you know, and, and we may not be the only supplier that does that, but it, it does as, as an agent or as, you know, if any other agents are listening to this, um, you know, if you don't have to outsource or bring in a bunch of other vendors into a specific opportunity or, or a particular opportunity, it makes your life easier as well. But, and I think there's a lot of solutions like that. And I, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about um, how many moving pieces there are on any specific opportunity yeah. right you know. but um what else so you had a, a bold prediction for <laughs> the channel i think you mentioned something about you're going to be playing yeah. i'm just kidding um uh, no uh, i'm being recruited by the uh by uh uh the vikings so yeah i'm just kidding 
<laughs> what's your what's your i mean look prediction? i'm 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 bullish on the channel um you know overall i think there's a in, from a couple different angles right i mean i think you have kind of the the area we primarily exist in is is still very much kind of go to market motion the sales side um for the channel i do think there's a whole other area right around systems integrators that sort of thing i think you see a lot more of that with SaaS companies than you do with telcos um and kind of the the world we exist in but um, I mean, my prediction overall and what you're what you're referencing is I think, you know, somewhere in the next 10 to 15 years, some company is going to come out of, you know, this agency side of the business and be at a level where they'll have a Super Bowl commercial. And I think we saw a few years ago, CDW had one. Um, so, you know, you've got a VAR that a VAR that had one. Um, and, you know, my assessment, the the TAM is larger for us. Um, than it is for a VAR. The business model is better. The margins are better. Um, you know, and it seems to be, you know, a lot of, a lot of support from the vendor side and focus on the, on the channel and on investing there. I mean, look, it's a, it's variable versus a fixed cost. Overall, that's a, that's a typically positive type of, type of outcome from a go to market motion. Um, certainly there's, I'm, Sure, there's people that are way more experienced in this and may have may have differing opinions there than I do. Um, but overarchingly, I'm very bullish on the channel and you know the kind of the 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 pinnacle of how bullish I am is that I think someone will will emerge out of this and be at a level where I don't know if they'll do it, but could have a Super Bowl commercial. Like I think that there are very, very big and successful businesses that are going to come out of this space. Um, exactly what they look like. I don't know that yet, right? I mean, this is a this is a dynamic space that we're in. Um, there's a lot of consolidation mm-hmm. happening, um, you know, and I think a lot of different strategies that are being used as far as how how do you leverage this business model? It's a very attractive business model, but how do you leverage it to provide as much value to the clients as possible using that business model, which is the game we're in, um, from my perspective. I think that's the game that wins over time. I think a lot of, look, a lot of agencies are in, you know, the, the relationship building game and they're going to build strong businesses on that. I think the winners are ones that are going to look at this business model and say, how do I use this business model to yes, like return a profit to shareholders, but also drive as much value as possible to, to the end users and to the clients and, and the stakeholders that we support there. Um, and you know, the, the winners that emerge from that, I think are going to be large, successful businesses. And look, we, we see this, right? I mean, these private equity firms that are investing in our space, whether it's at the TSD level or down at the agency level, these are not dumb people. They have done a lot of diligence. They have done a lot of research, um, you know, to know that winners are going to emerge from this space. Um, you know, and I think, I think it will be at that level. I think that will be the level of winner that that emerges out of here. So what you're saying is you've already started planning what resources uh, Super Bowl commercial is going to be. Fortunately, I have a I have a marketing lead, Josh Torsey, on my team, and I'm uh, you know uh, <laughs> he's he's probably he's got a better creative vision than me. So um, you know hopefully hopefully in the back of his mind he's he's thinking about that. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's awesome. So. Um, I know we're uh, a little bit over an hour and it's gone by so quick. Um, I always like to end with if you could give yourself 
or anybody that is just starting out in the channel or the technology space, um, what would that advice be? I'll tell you what supported me. Um, and this is, this is what I, what I tell people when they're coming on to, um, it's very important to understand, I would call it the operational environment, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of players on the field here. Um, you know, with the vendors, with the TSDs, with the clients, um, and within each of those players, there's a ton of different stakeholders. Try to deeply understand what those, you know, people and their companies really care about in their roles, um, you know, at a very deep level. And if you don't understand it, don't be afraid to ask. I think there's a lot of people in this, in this industry that are very open, um, you know, and approach this, especially now, um, you know, from a, from a place of abundance. I think there's, there, look, some, some people have a scarcity mindset in this industry. If you figure that out, move on. There's people with that approach it from a place of abundance and they're out here to, to share, um, you know, their knowledge and experience, you know, go ask, listen, seek to understand, um, you know, what, what all those people care about so that you understand, you know, how you can move in the space. I love it. That's great. All right. Well, um, can you tell everybody how to, uh, find you and I don't know whether that's LinkedIn or your website or, um, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, so we, we've got a website it says how great we are. We're really great. It's, it's at resourcev.com. Um, best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's kind of where, where I'm at. Um, you know, probably the best way to get in touch with me there. So it's great. And you have a podcast too. We do have a podcast. Yeah. We call it the wrap. It's resourcive as a podcast. So R A A P we've got about 50, um, you know, episodes. We interview kind of people that are at this intersection of technology leadership and procurement leadership. Um, sometimes some private equity operators, um, you know, that's kind of the, the space we're in similar discussions to this. Um, you know, I think a, a little bit shorter, we, we try to go around 30 minutes, but, um, you know, I think we've got some, some pretty solid episodes on there and, and, you know, I share pretty transparently how, how we do what we do and, and what our approach is, um, you know, and, and how we see ourselves competing in the market. So that's great. Um, you know, yeah, it's been, been a good endeavor. Um, I've, I've enjoyed listening to some of your episodes, you know, I know you, I know you're early, early on in this. Um, you know, I'll tell you what I told, um, you know, my team as we were working on it, I said, we're going to do 50 and we'll evaluate them. Um, you know, I think this is one of those kind of endeavors. You got to put your head down and, and run and make the content, um, you know, and see what emerges from it. And so it's been, it's been positive for us and, and, you know, I, I'm sure it will be for you as well. Yeah. So. It's been fun at the very least, but, uh, it's been, it's been great, man. I, I really appreciate the conversation and, we got to do it again because uh, we probably could go on for another hour. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll have you back on and, and go from there, but I really appreciate it. Um, everybody check out uh, everything that resourceive is doing and, and uh, thank you for your service as well. So, all right, that's it. Thanks everybody. That's a wrap on this episode of the channel champions podcast. You can find this in all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, 
and staying inspired.